Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so excited to get the week started. I cannot believe here we are. It's Monday. I love Mondays. You know, I always like to get things started with Patrick Albany. He's my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. And then after that, David Miles is going to be coming on for a special Monday afternoon mix. He's bringing a couple of friends, Pastor Matthew St. John of New Hope Church and Pastor Carl Johnson of Faith City Church in Dayton's Bluff of St. Paul. They're all going to be on the program as well. And then the second hour, Todd Mullican is going to be joining me for a full hour as well. So that's going to be my show today. I've been excited to be with you. I hope your weekend was good. I always like starting things off with my friend Patrick, but before him, I'd like to start off with a passage out of Psalm chapter 8. Starting in verse 3, it says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place... What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? So it's kind of a mind-blowing psalm to read. Uh, when I think of the way God has put the world in order, created everything, and he cares about us. It's a great place to start our Monday. Anyway, my friend Patrick is on our studio line, ready to get things started with me. Patrick, welcome. Hey, thanks, Bill. I I, I love that passage, That uh, and it is always a mystery to me. Because there are days, you know, just when I'm going about my business or minding my own business, which is where the trouble <laughs> always starts, doesn't it? Yep. Every time somebody says, there I was minding my own business, you say, see, that's what you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> right. But, uh, <laughs> you, you know, you, you see things and you say, it's amazing that God still cares for us. Did yeah. you see that guy cut me off in traffic? Did you see yeah. that? The other disastrous stories usually start with things like, so my cousin and I. <laughs> there we were that oh, usually yeah. starts that's a bad story too yeah i just you know it's whenever somebody does start with the there i was minding my own business i have learned maybe you should just never mind your own business <laughs> because that's where the trouble starts you yeah. should maybe you should poke your nose into everybody's business nah well, patrick patrick safe to say you and i along with 13 million other people did not watch the academy awards last night we did miss them. Uh, I hear they were feeling snubbed. You know, I, I find it amazing that I think Hollywood is the only only place left on the planet that still uses the word snubbed. And I, I sometimes feel like Enigo Montoya. You know, it's like I don't think that <laughs> word means what you think it means, because only in Hollywood can you be paid over a million dollars for you know three months worth of work. And at the end of the year, the collective uh, body of your peers says you're one of the five best in the world for this category, and and, and one person wins, and the other four say, "Well, there you go. I was snubbed. I was yeah. snubbed." Right. So I'm right. feeling because the construction guys took away my parking space. I'm just going to start bringing the word "snubbed" back because it just like it feels that. like, oh, "How dare you not give me my just rewards? I'm yeah. snubbed." I guess last night's Academy Awards show was beaten by a rerun of Matlock. Now, to be fair, it was season eight, episode four, where he revealed his love for hot dogs. I, you Which, know what? By I the way, it was a great episode. 
It was, I, you know, I, I remember that episode because, of course, he's in the uh, the law cafeteria. Yep. And when they bring him his hot dog, he said, I, I don't like onions. I don't like onions. But then the onions are what helps him solve the crime. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's always one of those uh, things like somebody comes in and says, can I mop the floor? And he says, no, wait a minute. The mop. The mop is the case. <laughs> Every Matlock is like that. Here's your hot dog with onions. I didn't order onions. Hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I'm kind of in the mood for a feel-good story, and I read one over the weekend. And what we try to do is catch up on weekend news a little bit before we get started. And there was yeah. a fraternity house at LSU that surprised a a woman who worked as a cook at the fraternity house, I think for three decades, and now she's working uh, as a part-time cook somewhere and working as a janitor at the Baltimore airport. She's in her 70s. They decided they were going to raise money and uh, put all of their finances together, and they handed her a check for $45,000 to pay off the remainder of her mortgage. Yeah, and a free lunch. Yeah, I, I was going to get to that, the free lunch too. The free lunch too. So when they first off, when they say there's no such thing as a free lunch, turns out <laughs> there is. <laughs> yeah, you just have to go to the. You have to cook at the right fraternity. I think, and I was reading that article. It was it, you're, not only was it a feel good story, but it made me feel good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, people say here's a feel good story, and you say, oh, that's cute, but this one was tingly. You know, where you, the- you go, I'm goosebump uh, uh, effect from this because. One guy had heard that, you know, she still owed, you know, $45,000 on her mortgage. And he starts contacting, it wasn't just a handful of guys. It was 90 guys that had gone through that particular fraternity that had yep. had contact with her over the years. And they all contributed. And they said, well, they, we, we have to, that food. Did you ever taste her chicken? It was the most, <laughs> today is because of her cooking. You yeah. Know? And they said, class, you- I can, Yeah. Yep. They said, it you're the good. only one that I know in the world that could walk into a hot kitchen working for minimum wage with a smile on your face every day. Now, let's talk about the lesson that's to be learned there. Yeah. There's, well, okay. That can you go, go back to the fact that there are people today uh, in Hollywood saying, I, I can't believe after you know three hard months of work on that movie that I did not get a golden statue. Uh, and I feel snubbed, and the world, and then life isn't fair. And here's a woman who has spent her whole life working for low wages or minimum wages, and going to work in hot kitchens and mopping floors with a smile on her face every day. How do you explain that that you know that you could have two different approaches like that toward life? Somebody with very little in life, and and people with everything, and the people with everything are the unhappy ones. How did that happen? Well, I think this woman went to work with her idea that her job was an act of worship to God. Sure. And when you treat work that way, I mean, it's a gift given to us by God that we get to do, that we honor him by doing it with a smile on our face. I think it's beautiful. You, know, you, I, you, can, I, bring, you can bring dignity to any job that's out there, anyone. Yeah, and and uh, you know, you might one of my previous jobs, which when I first started in it, you know, I, I loved it, and it was so easy to go to work with a smile on my face and you know a, a, a spring in my step. Um, but uh, as the years went on, and and sometimes the responsibilities got more and more, it was less enjoyable. And and sometimes I'd have to have that talk with myself as I was just driving into work, saying, well, "Here's the arrangement. You know, the the person they hired comes to work with a smile on their face. The person yeah. they hired." 
uh, comes in and says, here's the job I was asked to do. And I agreed to the terms. I agreed to the salary, the hour. I agreed to all of it. So I'm not allowed to walk in the door and say, they don't pay me to do this, these things. Yes, they do. And, um, you know, I, I was not, I didn't allow myself. I said, you can't go into work and say they don't deserve the best that I have to offer because I'm not enjoying the job right now. It's like, no, the arrangement was when you walk in the door, there's my dog. That means my, <laughs> wife, that means my wife is home and the dog can spring back to life and say, she's back. <laughs> but, right. you know, and you, and sometimes there were days that were tougher to have that conversation with myself. But when I'd walk in the door, I would say, the minute you punch that clock, the deal begins. And, and I knew even then, you know, this is before I was even saved, but I knew that that's what God expected of me. Yeah. I mean, I love your story about the aftermarket uh, sunroof uh, company you work for and what the owner had you do. I mean, that taught you a pretty valuable lesson. He, he was, and still to this day, and I was, I started there, I think I was 18 and he was to this day, one of my toughest and favorite bosses. But we, we would pinstripe cars. We would put vinyl tops on. You might remember those. And sunroofs. And the sunroofs were the fun part because you got to cut open a car. And But, you know, as the new guy, I did vinyl tops and pinstriping uh, for a long time. And there'd be days we wouldn't have very much work. And so I remember one day, uh, and we didn't have any work. And he said, well, here's what I want you to do. Um, you know, I want you to, I'd like you to wash my car. You can bring it down to the car wash to, to run it through one time. Now he drove a Corvette. So that part was fun, (laughs) (laughs) but he said, when you get back, I want you to kind of finish it off. And he had other tasks for me to do with it. And I'm, you know, a smart mouthed 18 year old. And I say, well, well, that's, that's not my job. He says, well, actually your job here is what I ask you to do. Now I could send you home and you can make no money today. Uh, but I'm just trying to find something for you to do to justify paying you money because you're here mm-hmm. and I don't want you to go home without earning some money. And and he just, he said it, it, it was, I wouldn't, I'm, uh, he didn't do it in a gentle way. Just so you know, <laughs> he was pretty rough about it, but he knew how to talk to this 18 year old kid to get the point across. And, yeah. and that impacted me for the rest of my life. I said, he, he's absolutely right. I, I didn't that- want to admit it. Is that the car you were telling me about that you got up to 120 miles an hour? Uh, well, that was on the off ramp. <laughs> <laughs> the brakes back then were not so good, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It was a so, uh, great lesson. Yeah. Speaking of dogs, another good feel-good story over the weekend. Clover, the dog, this beautiful one-and-a-half-year dog, was being walked by its owner. And the owner, unfortunately, had a seizure kind of on the side of the road. So what does the dog do? The dog gets loose and breaks loose from the the leash and stands in the middle of the road and sits there, stands there, and forces a driver coming up to the dog to get out and help her. Wow. Yeah. That's a good dog. You know that my dog, Ace, would do that for my wife. Not for you, though. I I happen to know that he would not do that for me. (laughs) (laughs) He he would think, oh, good, he's gone. I get her to myself. Yeah, he would get out, he would have, he, you know, if you found everybody, he would have my cell phone near him and he would, you, you would see that he was trying to dial. <laughs> it's like, I thought this was the thing to do, you know, just, uh, that's, it's a great story. And, you know, it, it is kind of funny. Um, we had a dog when I was a kid, he was not necessarily a very bright dog, but the dog we have now is extremely bright, knows his way around. 
uh, when we had, we finally had Easter last weekend with the family and I, I pull up and, uh, my wife had drive, driven there separately and he went to her car parked down the street. He just like, oh, wow. he, he kind of starts dragging me. I went, where are you going? And we go to the car cause he wants to see if she's still in the car. And when she wasn't in the car, then he turns around and he walks up to grandma's front door. I think well, we don't bring him there very much. I said, well, there mm -hmm. you go. That's it. If I'm ever lost, he knows the way. He knows exactly where she is. All right, Patrick, let me take a little break. When we come back, I want to hear about your, uh, your windfall that came in, your unexpected windfall of money. I want to hear about that when we come back. Patrick Albanese is my guest. We'll take a short break, and I promise we'll be right back. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. I'd unravel every... Welcome back to the show. So glad to get my week started with my friend and colleague, Patrick Albanese. Uh, Patrick, I understand you're like uh, Scrooge McDuck now, diving into a, a pile of gold in your living room. It is, you about, know... Tell me about the windfall. Okay. And, and, and there's another actually, another windfall story that I can tell you. I, I have two. Well, let's uh, see if the yeah, first one's one worth them, hearing, and then we'll move the on from there. Out. Yeah, yeah. All one right. of them shows that I've got working, but... And it, it happened just as I was uh, coming home today, and I opened the mail, and what appears to be just uh, you know a solicitation from the bank. I open it up, and just like, well, this looks a little different, and it says, <laughs> you know, we, we found an oversight uh, from your auto loan, and uh, it turned out that your auto loan was on automatic payments, and then uh, we hit you up with a bunch of late fees for missing payments, and. Um, we discovered this mistake that you couldn't have made a late payment since we were taking the money automatically. <laughs> and uh, we've straightened it out and we have included a check. Uh, and it, it, in a show of good faith, we've, we've rounded it up to the nearest dollar. Um, so uh, I thought, gosh, my car loan, I, okay. I mean, I've been leasing cars. I haven't, I said, oh, that car loan. I paid that off in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> You're just finding the error now. So I'm pretty excited at this point. I say, well, this is a nice surprise, a little extra cash coming in. And uh, it was $4.66 that they rounded it up to $5. <laughs> how many how many hours did you put into finding this mistake from four years ago? I said, we got to get this money back to him. He probably needs it. It's the pandemic time. But they rounded well, it up. You know, and, and that that shows good faith. See, you're thirty four cents for nothing, just for just for being here. Well, their mistake. They thought mm, interest. He would have been earning interest on this money, so uh, they probably gave you interest on it. It's win win, yeah. and now now you're now you're kind of rich. So five bucks. Yeah. Right. It, it does make me sort of tempted to go back and say, "Did you miss any other ones?" Because like <laughs> these five dollar checks can kind of add up. Yeah. But you know, and we were talking the other day, and you, and you said, "Oh my gosh, you you you, you should tell that story." we've obviously had a pandemic. People have lost work. And um, my wife and I have had this series of those things where you say, wow, uh, A, fortunate, B, the incredible timing, the split second timing of things. So 
uh, her work shut down, but they needed her so much that uh, they said, well, we got to keep you on, but we have to a 20% pay cut, which is, which is pretty substantial. And I wasn't doing any performing. Um, so there was a short period of time where I was able to collect some performers unemployment. It didn't last very long. And we said, oh boy, when that runs out, we're in trouble. And she gets a phone call from a friend who runs a, a theater department at a local university, says, are you available to teach classes? She says, you know, actually I am, I have free time. And it worked with her other schedule and it made up the exact difference in her pay cut. So we were, it's like the unemployment that I got covered that for like six, eight weeks. Then that went away. Then a new thing came along at the last second. Well, the last paycheck for that comes in in a couple of days. And we said, boom, here we go again. We're, we're going to be up against, you know, that, that time clock, that, that dangerous thing. She gets a call from the boss last week, says, uh, as of May 1st, you're returning to your full salary. The last check comes April 30th. <laughs> May 1st, full salary. And, you know, it's we talk about this a lot. I know that you say, gosh, uh, I look back on life and I'm, I'm a very good forensic scientist when it comes to God's presence in my life. I'm, I'm not very good at the I hear God talking to me right now uh, unless it's put that donut down. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> but I can I can look back with uh, amazing regularity at split second timing on things, people I've met, uh, you know, just meeting you. And I say, hand of God is in all of this. And I, I'm, I'm grateful that I can at least look back and say, aha, you know, there it was. I, I wish I could look ahead and have a little bit more faith and comfort and confidence at times when I'm feeling a little bit worried or uh, nervous that it's like, is everything going to work out okay? Uh, but uh, but I can sure look back and, and, and see it. It's very and- clear. The footsteps. Come on. Patrick, the timing. Look at this. Oh, April 30th, one job ends, and May 1st, the new job, or the regular job, gets reinstated at, at not only at full uh, salary, but I think there was a bump in there as well, wasn't there? Yes, yes. They could not, uh, no raises last year and no bonuses. And so this year they said, well, we're going to give you double your normal raise because you didn't get one last year. Okay. So, um, you know, that came out to $4.66, but they're rounding it up to $5. <laughs> but the spectacular news is the way in which God has taken care of you and your family. And there has been, you know, times when you wonder what, what is going to happen and how is this going to work out? And then you look back and say, boy, it worked out perfectly. It worked out the way it was going to work out. And, and there have been times in the midst of it, of course, and everybody's had this experience where you say to yourself, this is not how I'd like this to go. You know, the discomfort level of the uncertainty of what's going on, I don't like. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, I didn't get a job I wanted or uh, I think I've told you before, uh, my life took an amazing turn by getting stood up for a date one night. I do remember that story. And, yeah, and 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 so at the last minute, I have to find a date to go use this theater ticket to go see Les Misérables, and I'm feeling pretty Les Misérables because I got stood up. <laughs> <laughs> and we ended up. It, it just and I I remember looking back years later, and I said that was like a little pebble, a little stone that you know if you ran over it, you would say, well, that didn't alter my course at all, but it altered my course enough that. As the years went by, I could keep pointing back to that incident, and I would say to myself, if that night didn't happen, 
there's many, many events in my life that wouldn't happen, but I was, it was a very bad night. It was a very mm-hmm. bad night or I felt it was a very bad night. And now I'm so grateful for that night. I, it's strange. I, I, I'm not good at, uh, and I don't know if you're any good at this. Can you be in the midst of something that feels difficult and say, this is going to turn out and it's going to be great. I'm not I mean, good at that either. No. Mm. Are there people good at it? Or do we just I, have to be? That's a good question. I'd love to hear from anyone listening that says, no, I'm pretty good at that. When you're in the midst of very difficult circumstances, you have full confidence that the best will come out of it. And you're not going to let your feelings dictate what you know to be true in terms of in God's economy, he works all things out for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Maybe we'll get a story to talk about. Maybe. Yeah. And and I think we, you know, we, we, we are, all of us have experiences in our life where we can say, well, there he was, and there he was, and there he was. Uh, and then you know, we start to worry again sometimes and say, you, you still got my back? You know, um, I, I, it's, I, I would, it, as you know, that's one of my perpetual battles is to relax and say, you know, you know, hand this, hand this to God. You do the things that you can do, but, you know, understand he, he, he's always been there for you. And he will be there for you. However it works out, he's still there for you. He's never going to abandon you. Um, you know, it may, things may not go the way you want them to go, but he's not abandoning you. You are not mm-hmm. being abandoned. Yeah. You had sent me uh, some mathematical um, thing about ancestry, which I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Uh-huh. If you were born today from 12 previous generations, you needed a total of 4,094 ancestors over the last 400 years. Think for a moment, how many struggles, how many battles, how many difficulties, how much sadness, how much happiness, how many love stories, how many expressions of hope for the future did your ancestors have to undergo for you to exist in this present moment? It is kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? It's very mind-boggling, yeah. Think of that. All those ancestors over the last 12 generations. Yeah, and what is that, about 400 years? Yeah, about 400 years. So you think, you know, a couple people had a meet, and then they had children, and those children met other children and met, and and, and you say, that is a precise, exact formula to create you. And the design is God's. It's, uh, you know, you you have to sometimes remark just at the miracle of being here. Um, You know, I was was driving in to work today and I heard that song, I just want to celebrate, you know. Do you ever have that as a bumper music at all? Um, Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Who is that? Who's who's saying that? Um, It wasn't me. (laughs) (laughs) I know, because your your singing was not good. It's on the tip of my Uh, tongue anyway. We're running out of time, so we got to speed this one up. Okay. Well, there you go. That's the. Well, anyway, uh, what's your point about hearing the song? Uh, you know, it, a it was a feel good song. B. Oh, yeah. It reminded me. You know, you should have that attitude every day. I want to celebrate yeah. another day of living. Yeah, rare earth. I think it's rare earth. Rare I just came earth. Up with it. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I can't. I forgot it. But yeah. all righty, we got to jump. Patrick, have a great uh, rest of the day. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks. See you then. Yeah. Cool. Patrick Albanese, my guest get things started on this Monday. I'm so glad you're with me. When we come back, the Monday afternoon mix, David Miles will be here with Matthew St. John and another guest will be right
Monday afternoon mix, a special Monday afternoon mix today. We've got uh, Pastor David Miles and also Pastor Matthew St. John. He's the pastor at New Hope Church, also the place where David works. Gentlemen, welcome. Hi, Bill. Hello, nice Bill. To have Good you. to be with you. Nice to have you on, Matthew. Thank you for uh, joining us today. There has been lots of pastoral discussion and prayer over what's going on in Minneapolis the last year. Do share your thoughts with how the pastors have prayed and gotten together and and gotten real with each other. Well, thank you, Bill. It's really good to be with both of you. David, good afternoon to you, too, my dear friend. It's good to see you, um, Yeah, you know, we have enjoyed a tremendous measure of friendship and relationship uh, among black and white pastors going back largely through an experience many of us have had in something called Sankofa. And in fact, Bill, you and I have talked about this before, though it's been quite a while. I remember that. Mm -hmm. A number of us pastors uh, went on what we might call these civil rights pilgrimages through the South, uh, black and white together. And that really brought us together, developed some relationships. And then as this past year began to unfold with all of the crises that we've had here in the cities, we were determined to leverage those initial relationships to take us deeper so that we can be a public witness to a watching world of how the gospel brings people together and uh, how Christ can bring healing and hope uh, during these kinds of uh, times we find ourselves in. I love it. David? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been, it's been a week, and it's, it's, it's again, an, an awesome opportunity for the gospel to shine forward. And as uh, Matthew shared, uh, it, it's been a joy serving together at New Hope Church. Um, you know, we're a Christ-centered community for all peoples moving towards uh-huh. Jesus and taking others with us. And uh, we, we believe and want to practice that uh, the gospel intersects where life and, uh-huh. and, uh, and life, race, the whole nine yards of it collides yep. and to courageously live out the gospel uh, boldly because without the gospel of Jesus Christ to the glory of God, um, this is not possible. And so um, I just want to start off by saying that likewise with uh, Matthew and also our executive director, Ryan Fair, uh, the following year in 2019, I, I went on a Sankofa trip with just a wonderful group of, of men and women from the Twin Cities area and spent a week, you know, touring the South and learning more um, about our history and uh, mm-hmm. many things that I didn't know even studying this, but there are some things of a fresh that learned. And when we're, when we have this awareness, it does change our perspective through relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Derek Chauvin trial is now over. I would love to get your reaction to the verdict, both of you. Matthew, go, ahead, go first. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, you know, um, well, first of all, I think the jury uh, made absolutely the right decision. I think that the pressure they have been under must be beyond comprehension. Just the knowing the eyes of the world are watching, uh, I think they made the right decision. I think that has been validated or uh, affirmed, I should say, by... Uh, many all across the country, uh, and the Minnesota Association of Police Chiefs and local police departments and the, their leaders, uh, community leaders, advocates, pastors far and wide. I think most 
folks would hear that verdict, and in light of everything that has been made known, most folks would say, absolutely, that was the right thing. When it came down, uh, like I'm sure many were, I was glued to the television, uh, curious what what it was going to be. And with each uh, guilty verdict, um, I I was overwhelmed. And at the end, the two things struck me. One is I felt profound um, relief on behalf, primarily on behalf of my friends of color, for whom I'm confident the guilty verdict tells them that somewhere somebody sees them and understands the narratives that they deal with. And then secondly, I found myself weirdly physically exhausted. I don't know that I appreciated how much my body was just overwhelmed with stress. Uh, I'm sure building up over months, thinking about all this, praying about it. Well, that's a very interesting response, Matthew. Thank you for that. David? Yeah, I mean, I'm still actually, you know, still processing um, processing this, um, you know, uh, the jury had a, a really weighty responsibility and feel that they, they made the right decision. Um, you know, having a person who has family members in law enforcement and, and some of my closest friends, I kind of straddle both the world of, as a pastor, as a person who served as a, an honorary chaplain in the former church I was at and actually have a day named after me in a city that the police department yeah. had, and gave. So, so my, my life straddles that. And, uh, I remember even though the, they came back so quickly, um, I, I had actually was still preparing myself, um, for whatever the verdict would be. And there's been a long history of going down these roads of which first no one's charged and then actually get to a case and it's either dropped. So to get to this point that that happened, and I think even after it was being read, I still was kind of sitting there, you know, um, a little bit just kind of, you know, numb to it. And I remember that morning I kind of, you know, wrote some notes to myself and, 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 and basically, you know, said, whatever the verdict, Lord, draw me closer to you, to your side yeah. and deeper in trust with yeah. you. Help me lead my family and church family through this. Keep me stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed, seeking as you promise, hope and strength and rest. And that, that was kind of my prayer. And so, so you know, kind of seeing this, you know, unpack has been, um, it's been really interesting. Uh, and my wife laughs when I use that word interesting because it's like, oh, okay, it's interesting. <laughs> but, um, but more so like viewing it through the, the eyes of my, you know, my, um, my kids as well. Mm-hmm. Um, viewing it through, you know, my, my um, three boys and daughter and, and uh, you know, last night sitting in a, um, sitting in a, um, um, a banquet and uh, watching my oldest son, you know, be acknowledged by his team as a varsity athlete, as a captain, given the Rebel Award from his classmates as an athletic scholarship leader and one of 25 students uh, in Class 6A to be academic all-state and last year being recognized by the Hall of Fame and the Marines as a rivalry scholar and then an all-conference person recognized by the coach, his team's you know, MVP, and that someone could not see all those incredible things. And most importantly, he loves Jesus. And he's just mm-hmm. DJ. Amen. 
but that someone would look at him as a threat and, you know, um, so in some ways I've been thinking about others as well. Um, uh, I know this is kind of going on a little bit, um, more lengthy, but I thought of what it would have been like for, you know, my mom who watched, who marched in, uh, civil rights and, and the hundreds of years of people who to see this happen. And at the same time, my heart, you know, is continue to still pray uh, for Derek Chauvin and his family yeah. and yeah. Uh, for the Floyd family yeah. and yeah. just for us as a church. So, so I, I kind of have th- that term that they talk about in counseling. You can have like conflicted feelings. I think I'm still kind of in that space. Mm-hmm. Matthew, any reactions that you heard that surprised you? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. I think uh, we have folks, you know, all across the board with regard to their responses uh, to the to the verdict. I, I think, you know, those of us that, you know, David talks about himself having had a key role within, you know, law enforcement environment as a chaplain. My father was a police officer. Some of my closest friends in the whole world are a police officers. One of them is a U.S. Marshal, in fact. So, yeah, you know, I feel a real sympathy for the hard work of our law enforcement community, and I understand for folks who are inclined to be uh, particularly defensive around that, for sure. And yet at the same time, I think many, even within that community, recognize that there are uh, choices made, like Derek Chauvin's, that go well beyond the pale, and and accountability is absolutely required. Justice is, is demanded. So... I know there's a response all the way across the board for folk that that think it was a the, the right verdict, and others that are you know unsettled or unsure. One thing that strikes me, Bill, and I've said this. I, in fact, we even talked about this Sunday at New Hope Church. Is regardless of the verdict, no one wins here. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely, no one wins. The you know George Floyd is still dead. Uh, Derek Chauvin is looking at years of incarceration. Uh, David echoes echoed a moment ago concern for him and his family, and we've we've been voicing that in our church context as well. Being concerned for George Floyd's family, but let us be mindful here. We're also talking about a man; his entire world is is on a trajectory that uh, his family and he no doubt didn't plan. And there's a lot of pain there, and I want to I I want to be a man that's just sensitive about that. Uh, we've got communities businesses that are that remain scarred because of the unrest, the rioting, the looting. And then there remains this gulf between black and brown communities and those in the majority that that, that we believe God and his mercy through the gospel, through the person of Jesus, uh, can close that gulf. But it will take uh, a lot of uh, yieldedness to Jesus to see that happen. And so there. So when I think about responses and the, you know, am I surprised? No. Am I burdened? Yes. I I feel very burdened still for so much that that is implied here. That's a very thoughtful response, Matthew. Thank you, David. Yeah, I think you know some of the reactions. Um, it's it's been interesting because I've I've had some calls and conversations just from you know pastors and leaders and, and some Anglo pastors who, who had been surprised by just expressing 
you know, love and concern and a call on things that we've talked about here in the program of that people are image bearers and uh-huh. and, and need to walk that out and, and to to love your neighbor and things that for some have, you know, experienced some some backlash to that where they were kind of surprised that they weren't saying anything like, you know, really dramatically different than they'd said before, um, but some had interpreted it this way. Um, you know, I think one of the things that maybe surprised, you know, um, me with with this is the, the amount of um, layers of communication. A number of things happened that hadn't really happened in the past. Um, you know, you have a police chief, you know, testify, and you have the, the, you know, the blue wall of silence, you know, in, in ways just you yeah. had, you know, yeah. people coming out, and you had various people as standbyers and paramedics and things. And I think also, you know, the world's reaction to this, um, you know, has been, has been really, um, it's been really interesting to, to watch and, you know, not, um, you know, fully equating these two time frames together. Um, but I think in some ways people with COVID, it slowed people down to such a manner that you couldn't look past this. And, you know, we, we can go about, you know, George Floyd's, you know, did he commit a crime and those things. I think if, even if he did, it was more the question that we as believers, you know, believe and hold to. You know, does an image bear, you know, does a person who's made in God's image, um, even for that, does it, does it result in death? And, you know, a jury as well as a, a man's own peers and supervisors were like, you know, no. And I think if we can, again, point people to the unique dignity that God places in people, as his creation and point them to the gospel that is for all the nations. It's an incredible open door for the gospel. Thank you, David. Let me take a short break. I've got Matthew St. John of New Hope Church and David Miles, also from New Hope Church, as well as an adjunct professor here at the University of Northwestern. Let me know if you have a comment you'd like to make, 877-933-2484. We'll include it into the discussion with these two fine gentlemen. We'll be right back. afternoon mix with Pastor David Miles. We also have a very special guest, Pastor Matthew St. John from New Hope Church. Gentlemen, I'm so glad you could both be with me today. Um, When I look at Psalm 103, verse 6, it says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all oppressed. Let's talk a little bit about earthly justice versus heavenly justice. Matthew, you want to jump in? Because I will, I'll be happy to jump if you like. Yeah, you know, 
It's it's a great question, Bill, and I think it's um, it's a question that is being asked in a lot of spaces within uh, the evangelical world right now because uh, the things going on in the public square have have elevated this question to the surface of, well, what, what exactly is justice? What do we mean by justice? And we often hear people talk about social justice, and they say, well, that's a secularized idea, or if they're being pejorative, they'll say that's a Marxist idea and this sort of thing, when in fact, I, while I understand some of the sentiments behind those notions, the reality is when you re- read in the scriptures about justice, it's always in a social context. Uh, everything that God does with us is done in the context of community and fellowship, koinonia, the nation, the kingdom, and so forth. So uh, the way I define justice is God's rightness being made manifest in all the spaces of life. That's my simplest definition of it. God's rightness being manifested in all the spaces of life. You know, Matthew, on that point, it actually has the fuller context of when we talk about shalom and we talk about peace. And sometimes we just merely think of peace with, you know, a lack of conflict, but shalom has a much broader context to it. And, um, you know, Bill, we have this issue of of justice, you know, earthly justice and um, eternal justice. And I would say, you know, going back to something that you, you were asking earlier about my response to this, you know, for many in the African-American church for years, we've basically have had to look at these two things in, in hand because so often any idea of God's rightness actually happening on earth, it didn't happen. And so that I, you know, I, I was thinking about a comment made for people who, who went to church yesterday who've grown up in communities, um, you know, even, you know, several years before I was born in 71, um, where, where death and the reaction to people of color is so great. You know, the, the red summer of 1919 that, you know, read about that. It's a summer of just massive bloodshed and anger, but primarily, you know, anger of whites towards, you know, advancements of blacks, and they would go to court and people would see it and no one would get, you know, prosecuted. So they were left to have to depend on the fact, you know, that, that God was just and that God would be the only one, as the psalmist said, to hear my cry, to hear my plea, you know. Um, so so that, that idea of earthly justice versus, you know, heavenly justice, um, Matthew's dear wife, you know, when some people would ask me about, you know, being social justice warriors, you know, her and a, a blessed one, a group of, of women I know and, and men, they were passionate about our society and they were passionate as literally, you know, warriors concerning a just issue about the injustice towards unborn children mm-hmm. through the process of abortion. And so we support Robinstone Women's Center as well as New Life Clinic. And they're very committed to passionately pursue making the injustice towards unborn children that our society thinks okay, that it's not okay. But for a number of people, they don't necessarily think of it in that context. They think of it, 
think of it in, in other contexts. So, so you know, I think coming back to the conversation, not only a person being an image bearer, but also where are you sitting at, you know, uh, in a particular seat? Because um, after, you know, I lived in Chicago and waking up the next morning after 9-11, you know, many Americans were thinking not about justice in heaven. They were saying something wrong happened here. And even among pleas of people to say, hey, maybe, you know, love and forgive, they, they still said this is something that's wrong um, and wanted something to be righted about it. Now, when you land the plane, though, when it comes, only God is perfectly holy and just. And if there's anyone foreign, other, alien, and of greatest offense of the just nature of God, it's every one of us. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so yep. only scripture says in Romans that God is both just and the justifier. So, all right. What about the church? How does how do we move forward in this moment? And what is what is the message going forward? I mean, how does this uh, look uh, tangibly in application? You know, something I said yesterday, and then we also voiced this in our uh, as a group of pastors in our response to the verdict earlier this or you know, earlier last week. So I think a role that the church has today would be to lament deeply the real traumas and griefs that linger. When I said a little bit ago that, you know, while the verdict being what it is, uh, there's there's still not a so-called winner here because of those things I, I referenced a little bit ago. I, I think we need to lament that. We need to lament, here's a man that has died. Here are families that are broken up. Here is... Um, here are communities that are still scarred. I, I think it would be really important for the church to find itself with a posture of of just grief and humility. Uh, the shalom that David referenced here a little bit ago is part of that, because what that speaks to is well-being, goodness, uh, welfare, uh, something something about um, uh, contentment. But we we don't enter into the depth of those things if we don't lament where there's pain. If we just if we turn a blind eye or if we dismiss it. So I, I think a a place the church can start is with lament. I think beyond that, then something for the church to be focused on is leaning in with a view to understand what are the things that are at play here. Why is it that? those that are in the black and brown community feel uh, like their bodies are so regularly threatened. What is the uh, precedence of that? What is the present reality of that? What is, what is What should that imply for us as a people who want to bring shalom, who want to rejoice the city, as Jeremiah 29 talks about, uh, or who, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 58, who who ought to be repairers of the breach and restorers of the street. What does it look like for us to understand and learn about those things? And then how might we apply, and this is very important, Bill, how might we imply, uh, uh, apply a prophetic and pastoral voice to these realities? And I'm very careful in saying that because I, I'm a bit weary of the 
any time the church voices something about this, they're just being political. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that is not only is it intellectually dishonest and reductionistic, but it, it essentially emasculates the church from its greater calling, which is to be a prophetic and pastoral voice on behalf of the gospel, on behalf of the King, Jesus. We need to, having lamented well, having uh, continuing to learn well, we need to then apply a prophetic and pastoral voice to, thus saith the Lord about these things and how we might uh, bring good into these spaces, bring God's rightness, manifest it into these spaces. Uh, now, it might mean that there are, are, are political mechanisms that end up at play, but that's not the starting point. The starting point is, thus saith the Lord. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much uh, to both of you, Matthew uh, St. John. I, I've been, um, it's been great having you on the program, and David, as always, always it's good to be with great you, to have you. Yeah. Ma- Ma- Matthew, I'd be sending you a Monday afternoon mixed T-shirt if I had one, but I don't. <laughs> so, That's all right. Yeah, That's we'll okay. figure out something else. Yeah, gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Bill. Bet, Bill. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks, for joining us. Yeah, you bet. David. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, guys. Thank Bye. you. Thank you so much, Matthew St. John of New Hope Church, and Pastor David Miles of also New Hope Church, and. University of Northwestern. We'll take a little break. When we come back, we're going to spend an hour with Counselor Todd Mulliken. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.